earth trembled the day Emily died. That was something that nobody spoke about. It was never brought up, not even once. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I'm Heath Lambert. Uh, right off the top here, before we get going, I want to let listeners know that because of the nature of this movie and a number of movies that have come up on this podcast and movies in general, uh, there's going to be probably some pretty in-depth discussion in this episode about the topic of rape. So if that is not your thing... Feel free to exit Sage Left right now. No hard feelings. But, um, yeah, it's definitely going to come up. And so, given once I saw this movie, I had a tough decision to make. Because while I didn't want to necessarily subject this to any females I know, um, I knew it would be weirder and worse if it was two guys sitting around talking about this. So I decided that's not going to cut it. So... My guest this evening, Carrie Claypool. You said my name right. I said your name Good right job. this time. <laughs> and uh, Maria Sauer back. Um, had a much nicer movie last time. Yeah, it's actually a bit better than this one, I have to admit. Yeah, this is not that. Um, this is Shaded Places from the year 2000. Which, also, good luck finding if you want to look this up on IMDb. Don't look for a movie called Shaded Places because it doesn't seem to exist. It exists on Amazon. On IMDb, it's called The Giving Tree, which was apparently the original name for this movie before the estate of Shel Silverstein said, no, the fuck you don't. Um, so, yeah. Uh, this movie is a lot of things it is a very good example i think of why screenwriters and directors need to learn how to balance tone because this is the most tonally unbalanced movie i've ever seen there's there's a goofball comedy about friends getting up to shenanigans and hijinks and then there's like a very dark, serious drama about rape and suicide, and they've jammed those two movies together. You can make one of those movies or the other, but they can't be the same movie. Like it does, it does not work. Especially the way this is pieced together with music, and we'll talk about that later. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, but there's some music that just does not go with the scene, and it is really. It creates this really weird kind of cognitive dissonance where you're just wondering what is supposed to be happening. How am I supposed to be feeling? Yeah, the soundtrack is, is bizarre. It's all of this sort of folksy, almost country music, but it's laid over scenes of like... Like, at the end, there's a song about how, like, loving you is inevitable or something, but it's over footage of a cop walking to a barn to find a dead body. Like, it's so out of place. Random scenes in the entire movie that doesn't fit at all. 
Yeah, and then there would be some things where the music was there and there wasn't a lot going on and it almost felt like they were kind of making a music video for a second. It was weird. Yeah, the music is definitely overpowering in every scene it's in where instead of being like in the background or sort of accentuating what you're seeing, it's very much the top layer of what you're seeing. Like it's unavoidable to hear it. It's like so, they music and then decided which scene it would go to. Yeah, I think they had friends who were like, oh, you have a band, come be in my movie. Like, I don't know. Um, now, this movie actually has a little bit of star power, unlike a lot of movies we get on the show. Christina Applegate is, in theory, the main star. She's on the poster art and whatnot, but she's in, she's in the movie for... I mean, she is, in her way, the main character, for sure. She's but the main screen, topic. Sc- definitely. Screen wise, screen time wise, she's maybe in it for four minutes, five minutes. Well, and there's lots of footage of her just walking with the strap on her dress done. And they show a lot of that, which is just another weird thing they throw in every now and then where Christina Applegate's character is just pensively walking through the house with this dress on with the spaghetti strap falling down. Well, and that's part of the the very important flashback that we get bigger and bigger pieces of as the movie goes until we get to the end and we get the whole thing. It's also the very troublesome part of the movie. Um, We've also got Molly Ringwald. So this is probably a little bit before sort of the renaissance of Christina Applegate and probably a little after the renaissance of Molly Ringwald. So they were both in a weird spot that they would be in a movie like this. But um yeah let's let's just get into it there's 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 a lot here the um we start with black and white footage of a little girl swinging on the tree swing and there's narration um talking about emily so we assume emily is the name of this little girl and it is but not in the way we think um and this kid is working hard to pump this thing. She <laughs> looks pain. But our, our assumption is is that this is, especially because it's in black and white, this footage of the little girl, your assumption is this is Christina Applegate as a child. It's not, <laughs> but that's what you assume. We're going to be, I mean, we'll go through it, you know, sequentially, but we're going to, I've already spoiled a bunch of stuff, so we're going to spoil stuff along the way. Um, <clears throat> so, because we also see adult Christine Applegate sitting on the swing as well, looking sort of, I don't know, forlorn or, I don't know, just staring off in the middle distance. Um, <clears throat> now we're going to meet the group of friends that are coming together for this movie, St. Elmo's Fire style, or not St. Elmo's Fire, what's the other one? The one where the friends get together because their friend committed suicide. Oh, in the eighties. I, I want to say Cinema's Fire, but that's not it. No. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and 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 it kind of feels. I don't know. There's something disjointed about all these put together scenes. I didn't feel like. I mean, it was important to introduce the characters, but I don't feel they were doing a lot of character development. Like, I didn't feel like I understood these people, and I, I think that's more what should have been happening 
I don't know. It was just kind of a weird, and you were wondering, because I'm taking notes, and I kept wondering, what's important? What do I need to remember for later? I don't want to watch this movie again, so I took a lot of notes. It says, like, put their names on them at least just a little bit better like in the nicer way yeah because the introductions really don't do much no they really didn't you know and and then like the, the thing with the mom with the there's like a sex scene and there's this mom searching for a butter knife she uses it to break into her son's room and you think oh she's gonna walk in on him having sex but it was a different person than what they were showing in the sex scene and so it was just <laughs> weird jumped back and forth from a lot of scenes at a lot of weird times yeah before we knew who the characters really were and so i had a hard time kind of keeping them separated between who was who mm-hmm. yeah the carrots first we meet zoe who yeah we meet uh, during a sex scene she's on top of a guy she's trying to get him to talk dirty he takes it too far and calls her a slut, and she gets mad and starts slapping him, which is sort of played as a laugh in that moment. But by the time you get to the end of the movie and you know more about this character, you realize that it's that scene was not remotely funny and that she's actually angry because as much as she is channeling her trauma through sex, like being called a slut is actually like triggering for her. Mm-hmm. But you don't get that in that scene. It just seems like a funny little, oh, it's like he took it too far. That's funny. And now she's mad. But it's not, it's not funny. No. You come to find out. So again, it's the first instance of the tone being so out of whack. Um, and was that TJ she was with? No, it was just some dude that whenever so some random. You get the feeling that. Oh, Zoe. Yeah, Zoe. In the. In the intervening eight or nine months since the horrific event happened, that Zoe has kind of just been on a drunken sex tour, and that's how she's been dealing with her trauma. trauma. Um, But at this point, we don't know that there's trauma, so it just seems like, I don't know. Um, Yeah, Harrison has the mad mom who breaks into his room. He's super messy. He's kind of the shaggy from Scooby-Doo of this group. He's like a pothead and he's a goofball. But he's a harmless, like a sweet guy, you know. But he's just, he's kind of dumb. And he's not, he thinks he's a big jokester and everyone's just kind of irritated with him. Well, and that's the thing. All the characters are, none of these characters should be friends. No, none of them seem to actually genuinely like each other. Like, Emily was the linchpin that held this group together, clearly. Throughout the yeah. movie, like, they all hated each other about 55% of the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> um, we meet TJ, who's trying to sneak sneak out of the house, but the girl he's with wakes up. This is Vanilla, or Paula is her real name, but she goes by Vanilla. No, Vanilla's her real name. She goes by Paula. Oh, do I have it backwards? Have it, backwards. it doesn't matter. I'm <laughs> Paula. Um, so he winds up bringing her along. She hops on the back of his motorcycle to go. We're hearing voicemail messages this whole time from people from 
I think it's Zoe calling everyone and saying, okay, remember, we're meeting in Emily's this weekend. I'll see you there and blah, blah, blah. Actually, I think she's asking for a ride, too. Yeah, which she does not get. <laughs> <laughs> um, we see Zach. Well, we, uh, yeah, Zach, who's driving from New York. Um, there's Jules and Penelope, who are a couple. They do not get along. Oh, they hate each other. Whatsoever. Um, and Penny makes it clear that she is not friends with any of these people. These are Jules' friends, and she's being dragged along. Yeah. And this is the Molly Ringwald character. Yes, Penelope's Molly Ringwald. She spends a lot of time smoking and looking pissed off in this movie. Much to like, in a movie. He hates her smoking. Yeah. Well, we see him smoking, too, so I don't think it's so much that she's smoking, but it's the fact that she's smoking in the house where there's a pregnant lady is maybe what it is. Because we see him smoking outside at one point as well. But And she says things to him, they're cutting things all the time. Like, he's pe- in the first scene we see with them, he's peeing outside the car, and he comes back, and she says, did you hurt your little pee-pee? <laughs> Just... She just says little cutting things like that to him all the time. Yeah, she's very emasculating, and he's very just constantly nitpicky at any little thing that she does. Yeah. So they are clearly having problems. Um, There's Sarah, who is pregnant, who is Zoe's sister, we'll come to find out. Um, And there's a lot of discussion as the movie goes forward of, like, Oh, who like none of no one knew that she was pregnant. It's, it's a surprise to everyone when they arrived to find her very, very like eight months pregnant, and no one knows who the father is. She's not talking. Um, I think that's our group. Yeah, that's yeah. our group. And Zoe's hitchhiking. Oh, Alex. Yeah, she gets picked up by Alex, Alex, who's played by Moon Unit Zappa, Frank Zappa's kid. Um. <laughs> Yeah, they all arrive at Emily's house. Emily's nowhere to be seen. Well, I don't think it's her house. It must be like her family's summer home or something because all the furniture is covered when they get there and they have to uncover everything. Um, Yeah, Emily's nowhere in sight, so they just make themselves at home. TJ is telling the guys in the group a story about... Apparently about the time he almost got raped in prison, because... The bathroom, yeah. Yeah. Because prison rape's hilarious, I guess. And that's a... And we're... I mean, we're going to be talking about rape a lot in this, unfortunately, but that's a thing that is still... not as Certainly not as much as it was in the 90s and early 2000s, but it still pops up in movies nowadays. The joke of, like, oh, don't drop the soap, like... Like I, that somehow, rape is funnier if it's a guy, and I don't know. It's like, yeah, and it's not right either. Like, the nonchalance that it's treated with, but it turns out it is. It didn't actually happen to him. This is a dream he's explaining to them, which is so. And they think that it's very pointless. Clearly, no one likes TJ. Like TJ's like the jerk in the group that no one, like for sure, nobody likes. And we don't really even know what his connection to Emily is either, so he's very much the odd man out. Oh, and then we had the, pu- the pu- 
Paula, whose real name is actually Vanilla, with the word amalgamation. And she kind of is, she, she plays off to be a dumb blonde, but I don't think she's as dumb as she's presenting herself to be. But anyway, that was interesting. That happened right before the dream where she's explaining how her name was Vanilla, but now it's Paula, and she had this big, long story of how she was Vanilla, and it got shortened, and then it got changed to this, and and it made its way to Paula. And that was the conversation she had with Harrison. And they go to the store. Well, and Alex, with Alex Alex, at the store. Yeah, yeah, Alex at the store. Yeah, Vanilla is definitely portrayed as the dumb blonde. Anytime someone makes, like, a figure of speech, she doesn't understand it. Even ones that, like, a seven-year-old understands, like... Murphy's Law. She doesn't know what that means. She doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. What Jules is like, everyone up as if to like make a toast and she stands up. Like at any opportunity to make this woman look stupid, it's taken. Right. But I will say this for me, she's the only remotely likable character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, she's dumb, but she's like a sweetheart and she's nice and she's like genuine. deserves better than she's getting. Yeah, she's definitely genuine. But like they they keep showing snippets of conversations and part of those snippets and i'm glad i wrote this down they all go to the store to get food and supplies and things and they're asking the people that work at the store hey we're at emily's house have you seen her and they're like no we haven't seen her in weeks but yeah they keep going jumping to different snippets of conversations and it's and, and, and as I'm watching, I'm thinking, what's important? <laughs> like, I wish they would just show us in what is going to matter. But it, there was a lot of stuff that didn't matter. Like, they portrayed a lot of unimportant stuff as stuff that will be definitely significant later on in the story. And you could easily just forget about it in the story and move on and get over it. Yeah. Yeah, and stuff that's very important that gets glossed over. <laughs> like, I barely missed the whole big thing at the end, because it was just, and we'll get to that, but there's a, a big thing at the end that Heath had to rewind it, because I was like, wait a second, because it was just slit, and I was busy writing a note, and I missed it, because it was just slid <clears throat> in there kind of quickly, and it was a really big piece of the plot. And mixed in here, we're getting flashes of this flashback to a party that Emily is at. She's wandering the halls of some big house. There's balloons all over. There's laughing in another room. And as the movie goes on, we see more and more of it progress and progress. Um, So it's definitely building this sort of sense of dread. But the moment that those flashbacks started, or at least where it gets to the point where we see that she is at a party, there's alcohol, there's these two guys, and the two sisters are there with her. The moment you see that, I immediately went, oh no, and I got a very sinking feeling that I know where this is going, because of course it is. I wrote down in the notes, and it's like, wow, those party guys seem kind of gross. They kind of seem like not good people, and yeah. Mm-hmm. You were correct. But the fact that the moment I saw that, my heart sank and I went, oh no, is is this a rape movie? And it very much is. Um, like, that shouldn't be a cue that I notice. Like, it shouldn't be common enough in movies that I go, uh-oh, I know what this is. You know what I mean? Like, it's bothersome. 
that it's that much of, I don't want to say a trope, but that it instantly set off alarms in my head because I, I went back and looked through the 22, I think now 23 movies that we've done on this podcast. I looked through five of them at some point in the movie has a plot point that revolves around rape or for instance, last week's movie night of the living dead resurrection the last line of the movie is stick her in the rape van now for five movies out of 22 to have story important story beats or moments or in this case the entire movie hinges around rape that's a pretty high percentage five out of 22 what is that that's like almost a quarter and bear in mind, I'm not seeking out movies about rape. I'm, my movies are chosen completely at random. So for to pick 22 movies from all the movies completely at random and to have five of them revolve so heavily around rape is a real, real problem. Yeah. The fact that this isn't any spoilers, but at the very end that Tiffany, I'm assuming, directed it, she dedicated entire film to her mom but has this entire thing like this huge plot point in the movie that like kind of escalates everything to have that dedicated to her mom just seems very weird yeah i thought the dedication seemed weird at the end of that movie or at least put it at the beginning of the movie before we know what we're in for like yeah and then we'll forget about it by the time the movie's over putting it at the end yeah, it's a, it feels weird. But I, I mean, we don't know this woman or what her life is like, so maybe there's some connection there. I hope not. But um, They're all getting ready for bed now. Yeah, I wrote, why are these people friends? Because, yeah, none of them seem to really be able to stand each other. And then TJ and Paula. TJ and I'm gonna refer to her as Vanilla because it's a funny, it's a funner name. I don't know, and she seems more like a Vanilla than a Paula. Um, yeah, there's a scene where yeah, everybody's sort of gone to bed. Vanilla is having what appears to be very bored sex with TJ, and Harrison is in the room with him and wide awake and making eye contact with the Vanilla the entire time and sort of like sheepishly smiling like, <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm here, and she's looking at him like, whatever, it's fine, but she looks very bored. Mm-hmm. there's also a conversation at some point in the kitchen between Penelope and Molly Ringwald's character and Vanilla where she's detailing a a, I was going to say pretty um, abusive relationship but a a flagrantly abusive relationship that you at first think she's talking about her relationship with TJ where it's like he wants me to see all these dirty things but then he tells me to shut my mouth and he burnt me with a cigar one time, and you're like, Jesus Christ, they're friends with this guy? And then you find out she reveals that that's the guy she was going out with before TJ that makes, and she doesn't say this, but the feeling you get is this TJ is a terrible person as well. He talks down to her all the time, but compared to the last guy, she's getting off light. Like, she feels like TJ's okay because he's not as bad as that guy. He's a step up. He's not yeah. the absolute worst thing that could happen at the moment, so it's a good thing, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. 
I wrote down too at this point there's lots of music with lyrics that is just don't make sense and and there's a lot of music happening around this scene too with everybody going to bed and it almost felt like a strange poorly put together music video <laughs> very boring music video very boring yeah there was lots of at this point there was lots of just pointless scenes with music and people going to bed and well, and that going back a second, that's another example of the tone being because this scene that the conversation between Vanilla and Penelope about this abusive relationship that she was in, the way it's framed in the beginning, it's supposed to be like it's a humorous scene that she's sharing too much information with a, someone she just met a couple hours ago, and Penelope's very much judging her for it. So it's supposed to be sort of a humorous scene, but it's a humorous scene that ends that ends with her talking about a guy putting a cigar out on her stomach, yeah. which is not fun. Like <laughs> that's dramatic shit. That's you know, and it doesn't belong in this goofy conversation. No, not at all. <clears throat> so everybody's in bed. Emily comes home. Emily finally arrives. Emily comes home. She wanders around the house sort of watches everyone sleep doesn't wake anyone up doesn't talk to anybody she's real pensive she's on gazes at people she's on her way out the front door and vanilla wakes up so the only person in this house that she actually has a conversation with is vanilla who she has never met and it's a very kind of like how are you who are you i'm emily i'm vanilla how are you i'm fine i guess okay go back to bed <laughs> vanilla goes back to bed Emily goes out to the front yard. We see her sitting on the sling, like we did at the beginning. And then we cut back inside the house, and an earthquake is happening. This is California. That happens. Um, so everybody jumps out of bed. Everybody's freaking out. Everybody runs outside. And there's Emily, hung. She has committed suicide with this tree swing with the swing yes um and obviously everyone freaks out and they get her down it's too late she's dead and i gotta say suicide is is a controversial you know some people will say you know it's 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 never the right thing to do it's always a selfish thing to do some people will say you know hey man if somebody's in enough torment or whatever that's their decision. I I don't 100% know where I fall on that, but I do know this. Emily is an asshole because you have the opportunity, especially considering things we learn later on, to kill yourself some fucking where else. Not in your front yard. With all your friends. All of your friends there. You know they're going to be the ones to find you. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. She has trauma and same with the other girl but then she's definitely just adding on to all of that on top mm-hmm. of it yes she is transferring her trauma onto everyone in that house yep and it's a decision that she made very purposely to do and i don't understand why especially since everyone in the movie talked about how great emily is and how she's the giving tree mm-hmm. of this group she will do anything for anyone. She just wants to make everyone's life better. She's the greatest person in the world. How is it making anyone's life better that they have to come out and find your body hanging from a tree and not even know why? 
Right. Have zero understanding of what just happened. Yeah. Oh, you talk about selfish. That's some selfish shit. Like, that's fucked up. <laughs> well, we have a hyperneck that the phones aren't working, and then I realized that this movie was set in 2000, so not everyone has cell phones at this point in time. That's so true. They're, the, the landline in the house, which is a really old phone from probably the 50s, <coughs> is not working, and it's uh, so they, they've put Emily's body in the barn. Yeah, kind of out of sight, out of mind, except that people keep going out and visiting it. Yes, in California. How many days <laughs> was this body in there and people keep going? It would be pretty gross. I mean, it's three or four days that they are stuck in this house and people okay. keep going out. Go ahead. They keep... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was done, I was done. <laughs> oh, okay. No. no, they keep going out to see her and it's to talk to her and like hold her hand but at this point she would be smelling and rigor mortis and like at first i thought maybe it's a root cellar that would make sense a root cellar is cool it would keep the body cool but no it's not a root cellar it's a barn yeah, the tractor barn they call it because there aren't any, they have actually any animals on this it's not like a farm or something um and we find out that the roads are closed and there's no sheriff because he went down the mountain to a wedding. And the yeah. roads are closed because of like a boulder thing because of the earthquake. So it all kind of yeah. comes full circle, but yeah, yeah, a bunch of boulders are blocking the road down the mountain, so they're going to be stuck here now. All these people who don't really like each other. The one person they do like is dead, and they had to find her. Um, the only person who cries about it is Vanilla, mm -hmm. who barely knew her. It's another reason I like Vanilla the best. She has emotions. She and has Alex has the gall to, like, tell her to shut up. Like, stop crying. You didn't even know her. Like, why aren't you crying? I know people deal with things in different ways. But everyone just seems mad. I mean, they should be mad. They right. should be angry at what Emily has done to but, them. But you don't see a sign of grief. They seem, like, non... Like, this seems awful, but they seem, like, nonchalant, and they seem more angry at vanilla than anything else yeah or at least annoyed maybe not angry but yeah yeah definitely annoyed. yeah they're all kind of shell-shocked but they seem more angry that they are stuck here than they are sad that emily is dead at least to start with anyway um jules and tj get into uh, an altercation here and i don't remember what the conversation is that started it. One ends up calling the other a douchebag. Yeah, I think he maybe slaps him in the head or something. They're arguing about, I don't know what they're going to do, because Jules keeps referring to Emily as the body, and people are like, that body has a name, you know. Um, yeah, and Jules tries to start a fight with TJ. TJ bodies him immediately, just puts him up against a wall by his throat, and the fight is over <laughs> very yeah. quickly, so Jules is not a tough, the tough guy he thinks he is. Earlier in the movie, I don't know if this was just out of context, but didn't um, someone mention that Jules was, like, sick in some way? Um, his wife, Penelope, says, like, you're sick, but I don't think she meant literally physically sick. I think she meant, like, it's sick that because he's getting on her about smoking and she's like you're sick why are you worried about that our friend is out or your friend is out in the you know barn right now 
and you're worried about me smoking in the house, like, it's more that he's mentally sick, I think. Um, so at this point, Zach walks in. Zach has finally arrived in New York, and I have a question. How? How'd he get up that mountain? If the road is blocked off so they can't leave, how did he drive up here? That's a very good question. And they don't ever answer it. Because this has to be at least, I don't know, this is probably half hour to 45 minutes at least since they found Emily. So unless the road is blocked far enough down that he was with inside of that sort of quarantine zone that the boulders have created, but that would be for like half an hour, 45 minutes away, and there's no way. So I don't know how he is just now arriving and how he didn't get stuck on the other side of the boulders, but yeah, he arrives, goes out to the barn. We come to learn that Zach and Emily were sort of having had some sort of relationship in the past and were maybe sort of reconnecting. He's been out in New York working on his career. Um, they've been in contact. They've been talking. He's still very much in love with Emily. What 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 level their relationship was at at this point? We're not. We're never really sure. But he's seems to be the most devastated by this, and he's sitting out in the bar and holding her hand and talking to her and crying. Um. So it's the next day. The phone is back. The phones are back on, but the road. Yeah, the road is still closed. They called and found out that the sheriff can't come. Um, so they're supposed to just not touch the body anymore, just leave it where it's at and wait for the roads to open up. They have to come and break the boulders with the, you know, break the boulders apart to get them off the road. They can't just come and roll them off, obviously. Um, yeah, they make a supply run down to the store, which is apparently close enough that it's not blocked off. Um, and puppies. Well, and Harrison is wearing an I'm with stupid shirt. And here again is the tone. We just had this dark and morbid scene where this girl has killed herself in front of all her friends, basically. And they're all mourning and, and angry and fighting each other. And the next day, it's as if none of that happened because Harrison has this I'm with stupid shirt and he's obsessed with getting to the correct side of Jules so that it's pointing at him. And it's this goofy, like slapsticky scene that's supposed to be funny and it doesn't you can't sandwich that in between two slices of tragedy bread like it doesn't it's a different movie happening in the middle of this other movie the person tried to lighten the mood a bit too much after everything that just happened and it didn't work out at all it didn't work no but it's also the filmmakers trying to lighten the mood for us and I don't need that like you're either making a comedy or you're making this rape and suicide drama and it, it just cannot be both of those things um i think we need to tell the filmmakers that because <laughs> I, I would if they were here um yeah there's somebody outside the store selling puppies and also weed yeah which makes harrison very happy yeah because harrison's very and again, the tone, he's like, oh, so cute puppies. And there's a long scene of him playing with his puppy and sweet baby talking it. And the girl's like, hey, we also have, like, smokables if you need, you know. So he gets a, a good supply for their time stuck in the house. We also meet James here, who's a writer. 
which we know because the gas station the lady working at the convenience store is like how's your book coming and he's like it's all right um and one of the group asked him like hey is there any other way down the mountain and he's like nope and walks off and there went james we'll see him again but um so jules bought all this stuff they get up to the house he makes a big deal about splitting the bill and everybody's like is that the most important thing right now or penelope for sure is like is that the most important thing right now and he's like yes we're dealing with no we're not gonna wait till the end of the weekend we're gonna figure this out right now so he's a real like cheapskate tight wad type and so they're gonna figure out what everybody gets. like he's not he fronted the money but he's not paying for everybody's stuff so again not friends these people are not friends i don't care how much you tell me they're friends they're not friends um because he thought like 825 was split nine ways between a certain number and they fight again yeah yeah i was i did not understand why this was even a scene it's another goofy scene it's to show us that kind of in his way tj is even dumber than harrison is because he just he can't do math and they have a little chalkboard and he's tried to figure out what the total divided by eight people or whatever is and it's some very wrong number and it's again it's supposed to be this funny little scene and it's funny how dumb he is but that belongs in a different movie (laughs) Um, and then I have written down next that, and I'm not sure who it was. Someone slapped Sarah's ass. Who was that? It's TJ. He's pouring himself a drink. Sarah's standing in the kitchen with her own drink of just like water. She's pregnant, pregnant Sarah. Yes. Um, and on his way out of the room, kind of gives her a good game. Which, number one, I don't know that you're that kind of friends. Right. And she drops a glass, and it shatters. And she says, "Oh, I'm sorry." And he's like, "Well, that's okay." Yeah, it startles her so much being unexpectedly touched by a man that it's, I mean, it's a little PTSD, a little, you know, has made her very jumpy, and we'll come to understand why. Like, this is the first hint that, like, okay, something's wrong with Sarah. I mean, if you haven't figured it out yet. Um, Then... Then they're eating. TJ's saying grace, and he farts in the middle of it, which again, it's like, A is not fun. A fart, like, it's not it's like funny to start with. Joke. Yeah. But that's like, it's a that's a different movie. You cannot have fart jokes in the middle of your rape drama. It's insane. <laughs> what am I watching? Who is this for? Well, and and then they say glasses up, and that's when Vanilla stands up. Yeah, Jules says, I have everybody up, meaning, you know, get your glasses up to make a toast, and she stands up, because she's so dumb. But. It was a very strange scene. And then they cut to Zach in the barn. Yeah. And then it's nighttime again. We see Penelope smoking in a car, and we have every reason to assume that this is her and Jules's car she finds a, glo- a gun in the glove box and is very surprised by this. It, well, spoiler alert, it's not her car, it's Emily's car. Emily has a gun in her glove box. Why she chose to sit in Emily's car and have a cigarette is above my pay grade. I don't, I don't get it. I guess someone had to find the gun, but especially we'll come to find out she doesn't even like Emily. Like, she kind of hates Emily 
why are you sitting unless like the idea of like i'm gonna stink up the dead woman's car with my <laughs> cigarette like i don't i don't understand why she's not sitting in her own car or just standing outside why did you go into emily's car to have a cigarette i think it's more he wants to smoke in emily's car but the writers wanted her to find the gun in emily's car so they made it whatever that scene was yeah but we we don't know that that's emily's car at this point all we know is she saw the gun in the glove box like i have no reason to believe it's not her car it's dark they don't show details like i don't know whose car it is they thought it was hers yeah my interpretation until i was shown that i was wrong later is that jules has a gun in their glove box and she did that she didn't know about because it's their car because of course she's sitting in their car because why would you sit in someone else's car but no um at this point and here's where it goes way off the rails and becomes a straight up like national lampoon comedy movie because tj and harrison have decided to disguise themselves as bushes and i'm not joking or exaggerating they have taped branches to themselves oh because they need to get money do they need more weed is this they think they think that the girl selling puppies that has the weed lives in this house across the way from them so they're planning to sneak into this house apparently and steal weed um because the giant bag they got earlier isn't enough no, they huge, burned through it already. And it was a huge bag of weed. But it's just, but this is, again, this is a completely different movie. Because they've got a hot dog on a string, they're trying to lure this, and it's not a guard dog, it's like, what, like, what kind of dog is it? It looks like a golden retriever. Yeah, I mean, it's like a nice dog, it's not even barking at them. They're trying to, like, lure it away so they can sneak in and steal this weed, and it's this slapsticky goofball sequence that A is a complete waste of film time and B it just does not belong here it's a different movie um so they wind up stealing the dog and then immediately apparently the next day they have already gone into town well the owners of the dog have apparently already Noticed the dog is missing, gone into town, hung up a reward sign, and our heroes have gone into town, found that reward sign, and decided now they're going to call and try to claim the reward money for finding this dog. But I don't know, but that all happened in the span of so fast. A couple hours. Like I don't know, I don't know. Like how did you know there was gonna be a reward sign up? Why did you steal the dog in the first place? Why did you abandon your weed plan? And then I, then they're, they're like talking, oh, the dog is out there. And I, my first reaction is like, they put the dog in the shed with the body? <laughs> oh my gosh, this is horrible. <laughs> this dog is going to eat this dead body. And then we find out the dog is actually tied to a tractor and the dog so they get yeah they get vanilla to call and really amateurishly try to pull off this con why they asked her to call 
I guess because she's the expendable one in the group. Like, if she gets in trouble, it's fine because we don't, none of us even know her. But, um, yes, she calls to ask about the reward money. Say, I was out jogging. I, I found your dog. Turns out the dog, well, not turns out, they knew where the dog came from. It came from the house right across the way. But when they, so they see the couple coming out of the house to walk over to them, to talk to them about getting the dog. Well, yeah, when she's on the phone, she's like, okay, what's our address? They're asking what our address is. So you're giving them the address of the house literally across <laughs> across from you or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, but then as they come out, they see that, oh, no, this guy is blind. We stole, like, a seeing eye dog. <laughs> Which, so they're like, oh, shit, go get the dog. Quick, they're coming. Go get the dog. And the dog has died. For whatever reason, he was tied up to this tractor. I don't know if he drank antifreeze or he just died of old age or what. So now they have a problem that, yeah, this couple's coming to get the dog, but the dog is dead, so they're not going to get the rewards. So they hand these poor people this dog that they've essentially killed. <laughs> and again, this is a 15-minute chunk of this movie in the middle sandwiched between a fairly graphic suicide and a fairly graphic rape double rape scene we have a dog heist and a weed heist and bush disguise and it's like what the fuck are you doing what are you doing <laughs> oh it's just yeah so harrison is very nice to vanilla he's very sweet on vanilla but he's the only one who treats her like you know, he's like, you're not dumb. These people are dumb. They're always saying things to you to try to make you feel dumb, but I don't think you're dumb. I think you're beautiful. Aww. Harrison's a pretty good guy. Yeah. Um, um, then I have next that there's a scene with TJ and Penelope having sex out by a tree. And who sees it? Who walks by? It's Alex and Sarah are on a walk in the woods just having a conversation about, well, Alex is trying to get out of Sarah, who's the, who the dad is, and Sarah won't tell her um and yeah they see they sort of spy penelope and tj having sex up against a tree and immediately run and find jules and tell him like no but i suppose they're friends with they're not friends with penelope they're friends with jules so it actually makes sense that they would throw her under the bus that fast but they definitely spent or wasted no time no oh it's immediate like it it cuts to alex talk telling we don't hear the conversation but we see her like running over to jules who's out hitting a golf ball around and saying something to him um so now it's night again so this is now what night three Mm -hmm. four probably night three three i think yeah um Jules goes on a drunken rant. He never says out loud that, like, hey, I know what's going on. He's shitting on TJ in general and calling him a douchebag and, you know, but never comes right out and says, like, I know what you guys did today. Which I suppose is sort of protecting himself. He doesn't want to be, you know, revealed to the entire group that, like, oh, I'm getting cuffed, <laughs> like, you know. And then there's a big argument. Yeah, in which Penelope reveals 
A lot. A lot. Because she starts screaming, yelling at him, and she just announces to the room, to the group, including Vanilla, who she met two days ago, <laughs> that her and Jules have not slept together in four years, and each year that that's happened, she's taken a lover. She, so she, this would be her fourth, with TJ, would be her fourth affair that she's had in, that, in those intervening years. So their relationship is broken it's yeah why would you stick around for and why are they yeah why are they even still together and she accuses jules of being in love with emily yeah that's that's good he doesn't deny it either kind of or like not like a fully 100 percent doesn't deny it but right no he didn't no yeah that's the other thing she announces to the room is that like the reason our marriage is this way is because he was in love with emily and it was always sort of unrequited. And they still like talk and it drives me crazy, like with jealousy that like in in, in her mind that, that Emily has really playing a long con here is planning to steal her husband. Where that seems like if she wanted to, she could have been any time, certainly in the last four years, and it hasn't happened, but And then Jules just goes berserk and says he's going to destroy the place which i don't understand what that would accomplish if it's just he's trying to scare people but he's threatening to destroy the whole place and he's well, he's very drunk yeah he's, and he's and he has told everyone that like i kind of don't care about any of you emily's the only one i really cared about which is what sets penelope off because she's like well, she's the only one you'd like what about me i'm your wife um at which point Penelope runs out of the house and runs back in with the gun from the glove box and tells everyone, like, oh, you thought Emily was so great. Why does she have a gun in her glove box? Which And the gun winds up going off and, like, shooting a vase or something. But so now everyone knows that she had a gun. Her and Jules do a brief little kerfuffle kind of thing, and he tries to take the gun away, and she shoots it into a vase. So she had, like, her, hand, her finger on the trigger the entire time, and... That's kind of worrying, seeing as there were, like, six other people in the room. Yeah, and I think that those six other people being in the room might be the only reason that Jules makes it out of this alive. Right. <laughs> like, I think if they hadn't been there, she might have just gunned him down. Right. Um, but again, this is a very serious, like, this is melodrama. This is a very serious, there's a gun, and there's a marriage crumbling apart, and there's friends having to watch all this and this is the serious stuff that belongs in one movie and not between a scene of <laughs> dog kidnapping and a scene of bike riding and golfing and all these other hijinks right. that are happening right then and there's it's, it's the whiplash back and forth like even because you can have mixed tone you can have horror comedies you can have you know you can have moments of levity and comedy in the dramatic thing and vice versa. Like, we're watching Still Game, mm -hmm. the show on Netflix, a Scottish show, long-running Scottish sitcom. Funny. Very funny show, but every episode, there comes a moment towards the end in the third act where it gets very serious, and there's some sort of serious, deep conversation happening, and you go, like, a solid minute without, without laughing because something, like, fairly serious is going on. And then they kind of let the air out of that balloon immediately with the joke afterwards. But, but it all that's how fits. you balance the tone. 
It has amalgamation. Yes. It doesn't go back and forth, back and forth, back this and forth. This movie doesn't have amalgamation. Oh, and then there's a conversation with Alex and Zoe because Alex, and I, we put together, she hasn't come out and said it, but she's a lesbian, I'm assuming. Well, this is where we find out because Zoe asks, asks Alex, when did you first know you were into women or when did you who was the first woman you were with and we find out it was emily mm -hmm. alex was sort of figuring herself out back in high school kind of deciding if she was straight or gay or bi or what and emily was there to like help her she says emily helped her find herself i mean but in more like in more ways than one like her and emily hooked up in high school mm -hmm. and that man that made alex realize that like oh no i am gay so emily so that's emily and alex's connection so Emily has a very personal connection with everyone, sort of individually, but not as a group necessarily, with the exception of Vanilla, obviously. Right, right. Um, Everyone's telling her everything. Yeah. Well, because she's the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? not a buffer but she's like a clean slate she's there's no baggage there you you can't have the same conversation with your sister or someone you've known for 20 years because there's all this other outside baggage to tag you can talk to vanilla because she doesn't know anything about it it's like she's like the bartender <laughs> you can just go to the bar and unload your problems on him because he doesn't know who the fuck you are and yeah. doesn't care vanilla doesn't know the history she's an outsider <clears throat> And there's more just scenes that don't need to be there. There's, what was this about? Well, Zoe and Alex kiss. Yeah. But then Zoe, like, immediately is like, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. Which makes Alex mad, because Alex is obviously into Zoe. So now they're kind of button heads. Um, there's, yeah, there's an absolutely pointless conversation. It's daytime again now. All the guys are sitting out on the porch drinking beer, and they're having a conversation about jfk and how he's like what an important figure he was and how like all of our parents know you know where were you when jfk died and zach this is jules going off about this and zach is like okay but when were you born like you were born like four years after he was killed so like you don't even know anything about this and then there's and they compare vanilla to marilyn monroe and they're like yeah i, I can see that but it, it's a scene that adds nothing. It adds nothing. It comes right after a scene about, you know, a pretty serious scene about coming out and these friends almost making out and like, it's just that that whiplash. Like, if you could pick one tone for a solid ten minutes, but you can't. It's like two minutes of seriousness, three minutes of quote unquote comedy. And then three minutes of serious, and then a comic. Like, it's just. Oof, it's a roller coaster, this movie, in, in the worst kind of way. <clears throat> what was that? Definitely, like, I don't know what is going to happen next. No. It, there's so many different points that it could possibly make, or it couldn't. You just never know. Right. Well, and also this entire time we've still been getting little increasing getting further along in the 
flashback story, flashbacks. So we're still getting this impending sense of doom of like, we're, we're good. This is going somewhere bad. <laughs> if I didn't know that already, it's dawning on you that like, we're still heading towards something pretty atrocious. You know something bad happened at that party. You just maybe not, you maybe don't know what it is yet, but it's it's pretty heavily implied. Yeah. Um, Harrison takes Vanilla out. He's going to teach her how to ride a bike because Emily helped him get over his fear of everybody used to jump in the water and he wouldn't do it, so she pushed him off. So that's why they were friends, I guess. Um, yeah, so now you have this humorous sort of scene of Harrison teaching her on a bike and her, like, crashing the bike sort of off-screen. And they're swimming, and then Sarah's walking. Who's Sarah walking with? Well, okay. <laughs> I have real issues with this. This is... Yeah. All the guys are swimming in, like, the swimming hole, and Sarah's sitting on the dock, and James, the writer guy That's from town, right. who they met for... Not even all of That's them met. A couple of them met briefly as he walked by them at the grocery store appears from the woods and strikes up a conversation with Sarah and asks her if she wants to go for a walk and she says yes no no <laughs> you don't wander off into the woods with a stranger you don't know yeah and then he's and I, horrible and I and I would say that to anyone let alone a woman who we are going to come to find out has been horribly traumatized by something that happened to her that was done to her by men, strange men, eight months ago. Enough that someone touching you makes you drop glasses and things, but you're just going to walk off into the woods with a man you literally do not know. It's then, so bizarre. And then, this is the part that really made me upset, he calls her selfish for her saying that she was going to raise the baby by herself and he says some crappy thing about but a boy needs to be raised with a father yeah she's asking him like oh what do you write I'd love to read something you wrote sometime and he's like but he's, he's drilling down he wants to know about like oh why isn't the father around and she's like because he just isn't like don't worry about it and he's like well that's pretty selfish of you to raise a kid by yourself like first off who the fuck are you dude <laughs> like you right. don't know this person and his excuse for that is like, well, I was raised with no dad, and it was a real bummer for me. But also, but you're also supposed to, you're trying to present to this woman that you apparently like that like, but I turned out okay. So you can't have it both ways. Either life is terrible and you turn into a hoodlum because you had no dad, or you turn into like a sensitive, nice writer guy who ladies should date. Right. It can't be both. Right. Just lots of stuff yeah, then there's a scene of the guys all playing golf and comparing scars like they're on the boat in Jaws, and it's it adds nothing to nothing. anything. And then CJ says something to Jules I wrote down. He says, I surround myself with filth and I stink. It's just what I've become. And I don't remember the exact context of that line, but I wrote it down. Do you remember? I think it's like a rare moment of self-reflection for him where he's realizing that, like, I just sleep around with girls and I don't treat Vanilla very well and I, you know, I'm that I'm kind of a shitty dude and I get why you guys maybe don't 
like me very much. Then they play charades. Then they play charades. Which we don't even need to see. No, again, it adds nothing. It's just like a fun little scene with air quotes around it. Fun little scene. Um, Philosophy of a Ghost Knocks with a Body during this time. This is what, four days? Yeah, this has got to be day four or five. I'm wondering. Oh, wait. Never mind. Never mind. Oh, what? I want to know. I had written this down because I apparently had completely blanked about the store, but they were there for four days. I don't think any of them planned to be there for four days, even longer than this. And so, and Vanilla technically only has the clothes on her back because she didn't bring anything unless they stopped by somewhere, but... No, she ran out of the house and jumped on the back of TJ's bike. So, yeah, she's has either borrowed clothes from someone, purchased clothes at the store, or I guess I wasn't paying that close attention to her outfit, but or or she's wearing the same clothes for four days straight. I don't know. Um, but dude, I feel like a lot of these scenes could be combined. Because like, the scene after the charade scene is Sarah's big blow-up scene because she sees Zoe getting drunk and kind of dancing for the guys in the room. You know, and it sets her off. It sparks her sort of PTSD. Her, you know, it very much triggers her trauma because she's seen this before and it led somewhere awful. Um, but I feel like you could have blended that somehow into the charade scene instead of having it be two completely separate, I don't know. It was, yeah, but so it winds up being a big screaming match between Sarah and Zoe, where Sarah's saying, like, you're my big sister, you're supposed to protect me, and Zoe's very much like, I didn't do anything wrong, I don't, in fact, she even says, I don't even know what you're talking about, which is bullshit, like, what a horrible gaslighty thing to say to your sister well and then because you know what she's talking about right you're acting like you don't know what she's talking and then at one point she does say she i tried to she tried to protect sarah and then she puts her hand to a mirror or a window or something she breaks yeah yeah. but it comes to nothing her getting her cutting her hand leads like it has no impact whatsoever on the rest of the movie but i mean they're doing this within earshot of everyone else in the house Mm -hmm. So now we have our big sort of parlor scene. We have our big revelation where Sarah explains, and here we get the full flashback. The full flashback, finally. Which is difficult to watch. Yeah. We get, yeah, so it was it was Sarah and Zoe and Emily at this party that the last one's left at this big mansion or whatever with these two sort of preppy guys they're, they're all pretty drunk. Emily leaves to go to the bathroom. That's why we've been seeing lots of shots of her wandering through the halls of this house. At one point, she opens a door that she thinks is the bathroom, and there's like a pet, a set of twins. There's like two girls, twins, that are like sitting on a bed just looking at her, which is never mentioned again. We don't know what that even is supposed to be, but she shuts the door. She comes back from the bathroom and she hears muffled screaming and crying and stuff from the other side of the door. She comes in the room and Sarah and Zoe are bound and gagged 
identify these two guys who are, and the one guy especially is giving an absolutely mental performance. Like, insane. He's acting like like he's the Joker or something. Like, in the 60s Batman. It's crazy how he's, like, singing high-pitched voice and, like, yeah. He took the crazy and went for it, 100%. He didn't hold back at all. It's, uh... Yeah, I'm not going to try to imitate it, but he's, yeah, he's singing, like, yellow polka dot bikini at them and, like, really loud and really high pitch. Like, it's it's an absolutely insane piece of acting that doesn't, that also belongs in a completely different movie. But what winds up happening is, luckily i guess the the rape itself is off screen and we don't have to see it who does have to see it is emily because one guy holds emily down on the bed and makes her watch as her two friends are raped she was not herself raped is what we seem to gather but she had to watch while the other two were and i, I will say this maybe the only plus sort of for this movie Christina Applegate's performance, the only one she gets to give in this movie, because it's kind of her only real scene, is really good. Like, yeah. her reaction to what she is seeing off screen is is terrible and heartbreaking, and, like, she's screaming and crying and fighting the guff. It's very traumatic. It's very... It's, she's doing a, a better job than this movie deserves. Yes. Um, so they explain all this and then Sarah all of a sudden goes into labor and it's so fast it never happens that fast unless you're using lots of drugs like I get that she's stressed out but yeah it's like a very instant but yeah the now what we come to know is the reason that she's never talking about who the father is is because her baby that she's decided to keep which is, I feel, a, a very brave thing, um, was a product of this rape. And that's why no one knows who the father is. <clears throat> um, so she goes into labor, and suddenly, why this is, I don't remember them saying this before, but the blind guy is actually a doctor. Well, okay, and here it gets, starts getting crazy again. Yeah. Because... James arrives just in time to be staring into the crowning vagina of this woman he met a day ago. And everyone seems absolutely fine with it. In fact, they're like, we need a doctor. And James says, oh, the guy who lives over there is a doctor. And instead of saying, cool, James, guy we don't know, go fetch the doctor. Harrison and Vanilla run to get the doctor, and James stays to watch the birth. What? Absolutely not. I wouldn't want a stranger looking at me while I'm birthing a child. No thanks. Like the degree to which like he is just instantly after this sort of good and sort of bad conversation they had in the woods. The degree to which he's like, well, I guess you're baby daddy now. Like, <laughs> yeah. is insane. And no one blinks an eye. No. No one's like, hey, James, cool, we're busy here. Can you maybe come back later? Or, you, yeah, just you go get the doctor if you know where the doctor is. Instead of sending this woman's friends away, 
But no, so now the the, doc, the blind guy who they killed his dog comes over. He's the doctor. And it's him and James between her legs delivering this baby. Which is crazy. I guess he needs, because he's blind, maybe he needs a helping hand. But literally anyone else in the room. James does not belong here. <laughs> you haven't even kissed this woman yet. And you have your hands all up literally inside of her. <laughs> It's bananas. It's bananas. Bananas is a good word. And then they introduce a problem and resolve it instantly. instantly. Because the doctor's like, oh, it's a breech birth. This is a problem. And then we cut to the baby's born and everything's fine. It so is. why even mention it? Why even introduce that into the movie? It adds nothing. It caused no problems. You introduced a problem and a solution in the span of two seconds. Yep. <laughs> I don't understand. Yep. Mm-hmm. George Miller mentioned there was a lack of dramatic effects in there before the movie ended. Yeah. <laughs> but it's literally, I mean, he, he says, it's a breech birth that's going to be a problem. Cut to babies born. Like, there isn't even, they don't even give you a moment to feel tension over it. Right. It's resolved so quickly. And it's not, the next shot isn't even, like, them giving, like, the newborn baby to the mother. It's them, like, just sitting on the couch chilling. It might have been, like, an hour or so, like, after the actual birth. But it's the next day because the sun is up. Like, the sun is coming through the windows, and when they ran to get the doctor, it was nighttime. So it's, it's like, the next day. So, yeah, she's sitting holding the baby. Everyone else is kind of milling around the house. James comes over and is, like, looking lovingly at her and the baby. It's a very weird situation because, again, you have spent conservatively 15 minutes with this man in your life <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I don't, oh. I don't get it um and then the roads are open yeah now the roads are open everybody can leave but they're still kind of straggling around harrison and tj run into town and get a puppy mm-hmm. to give to the blind doctor to replace the dog that they murdered. Because a puppy can be a seeing eye dog. No. <laughs> All you've given is this blind man is a project. Because now he has to train. He had a trained seeing eye dog. Now you have given him a puppy who is a pain in the ass to take care of. Who has not been trained to do anything. And I won't even get a puppy. I will only get full grown dogs. Because puppies are more work than human babies. And both of your eyes work. And both my eyes work. Exactly. <laughs> Puppies are a pain in the butt to take care of. They whine all night long because they have to go potty every three or four hours. You don't get any sleep for about two months because you don't want them to go potty in the house. You have to take them outside. It is horrible. If they have actively made this blind doctor's life worse. Much worse. And on top of that, the puppy was free. Yeah. So they... They... Sacrificed nothing to give this man a puppy. And he could have, he, he probably knew the puppies were there at the store all the time anyway. If he really wanted yes. one, if he wanted a puppy, he could have gone and got one. He surely could have. So I guess it's the thought that counts, but. <laughs> the thought wasn't planned out very well. No, no, pretty thoughtless thought that counts. So, so this is where I missed stuff because I'm writing stuff down and I totally missed what happened. You could easily miss it because a very, 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 very important plot point is 
revealed to us in one line of dialogue that's sort of narration over what you're that you could easily miss yeah i was basically down about the puppy everybody's getting ready to leave the sheriff pulls up with another cop and we hear over the radio that they are there to look for a homicide suspect there's been a shooting and you're like what now and the person that they're looking for is emily is what the reason emily was not there when they all got to the house at first is because she was busy killing those two rapists which hey you know what if i were ever to run for public office my entire platform from top to bottom would be kill all rapists there we go <laughs> i'm fine with that i don't know why she waited eight months yeah and then months? with this moment of cathartic victory then chose to hang herself in front of all her friends that i don't understand but as her sort of last act of taking care of her friends she has gone and murdered these rapists and at this point we figure out that the person who's been narrating from the beginning is james is james for some reason yeah because you know he's super important mm-hmm. that was sarcasm and yeah so the cop so they tell the cop you know oh if you're looking for emily she's already dead she killed herself she's in the barn and we get this very placid cheesy love song playing over the sh- a shot of a cop walking to the barn to retrieve this body it's so out of place and so weird and then sort of the final reveal and then this is the end of the movie um is that the black and white girl on the swing at the beginning named emily is not the emily we've known that james has been narrating to this entire time it's sarah's daughter who has been named emily so we're seeing into sort of the future i guess three or four years however old this girl is four or five years old six maybe even yeah i'd say four the way she's pumping that swing a six-year-old would know how to pump that swing (laughs) but that poor little girl is struggling every time i see that scene i just want to go push the swing for her poor kid so in the black and white i guess flash forward actually it turns out James walks up to the swing and he's pushing the little girl and he's telling her, you know, the narration has been from him to her about how, like, you know, it sucks that Emily died, but it brought you and your mother to me, so everything's fine. And Emily, or uh, Sarah, and James have a little smooch next to the swing. Next to this, this little girl is swinging on the swing that her namesake hung herself on. That was You would? It was like a bad way to establish, I think, nostalgia. Cause yeah. Well, and also what you're what you're telling us is that James is explaining to this little girl the entire story we just watched. With all the sex, and like all this the three or four year old girl, he is just related all of this horrible shit that we just watched. He's now dumped in this little girl's lap. Yeah. Or maybe it's supposed to be like something he wrote for her to read when she's older, maybe. Because he's a writer. That could be be it. But it's a last minute little attempt at a twist that was like so. I don't know. Unnecessary. If my friend killed herself on a swing and I named my child after her, I would probably get rid of the swing. 
Richard. Yeah, that sling's got to go. I wouldn't keep the sling around. Also, why did James and Sarah now live in this house? Yeah, why don't they live somewhere safer? <laughs> that earthquake definitely looked pretty awful. Yeah. I mean, maybe Emily left it to Sarah in her will, but we never heard that. They just suddenly, I guess now we can just assume that Sarah and James and little Emily live there now. Is, I don't know. Is Emily Sarah and Zoe's sister, too? Or are they just friends? No. They're just friends, okay. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I just don't know. Complicated. Everything. Well, or at least it certainly thinks it is. Yeah. But it's, yeah. again, I can't, I can't stress enough what an unbalanced tone all of this is. How it's two very different and very inappropriate to each other movies smooshed together into one movie. I'm not saying there should never be movies with rape in them, because it is it's a thing, sadly, that happens all too often. It's a reality. It's something women have to fucking deal with and worry about every day. And it's fine to make movies about that if you're shining a light on it or saying something useful about it or trying to educate about it or, you know, but just to use it as a pivot point for drama or as a shocking plot twist or as a inciting incident to make a man go get revenge, you know, which is how it's used a lot of the time, or it's used very flippantly as if it's kind of not that big a deal, and it's the biggest fucking deal, you know? And so seeing it treated this way in this movie really got me riled up because yeah. <laughs> I'm tired of it. I'm tired of showing up randomly in movie, I'm just trying to watch and enjoy a movie, and it just doesn't, that doesn't belong here. That's my take on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, by definition, this is a movie, but it, uh, it's not something you should watch. Yeah. I'm gl- I mean, I'm glad that they didn't show the explicit scene with the rape. Like, that may have, that probably would have put it over the top gratuitous. Yeah, I mean, there is a conversation to be had there and a discussion to be had there as far as the same with, and it's one that people had about with violence in movies as well for a long time is, are you better off showing the impact and consequences of it? There's a movie called Irreversible. Um, which and it's I've only seen it once because it's an incredibly difficult movie to watch. I th- I think it's quite a good movie, but in the middle of that movie there is a ten minute long one shot the camera it's a rape scene where the camera is not moving and it is forcing you to watch this thing for ten minutes, which on one hand seems like wow that is really gratuitous and why are you doing that to your audience? But on the other hand it's no, we're going to treat this with the gravity it deserves. We're not going, it's not going to be a thing that happened over there and we can move on with it. It's, you're going to watch this. You're going to not enjoy it. You're going to be sick to your stomach because that's how you should react to something like this. It shouldn't be 
rape should never be presented as sexy or titillating. So there's an argument to be made that maybe it would be better off showing it than not. And I think there's an argument to be made for not showing it instead. And I think in this movie, it may have been a good call because really what the whole movie was about was Emily's reaction. And that's what they showed in the rape scene. That's true. 100% showed Emily's reaction. Really, the only thing you saw of Sarah and Zoe was them tied up. Yeah, and also, I don't think that... I'm saying in movies in general. In this movie, I absolutely don't think we should be seeing a more explicit version of it. Because, again, this is the movie where guys are dressing up like bushes and stealing a dog with a hot dog. Like... This movie handled it the completely wrong way and it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have shown the the gravity of what happened it would have been played off about 10 minutes later by somebody dressing up as a bush and stealing a dog but right that's the thing is that it's hard to take any of it seriously and it's a big problem that i had um with the fp when we talked about that as well was that there's misogyny against women and stuff happening and on one hand you can look at it and go okay well it's it's saying something about that and trying to make you feel a certain way about that but everything in the movie is so flippant and so silly and so insincere that it feels like it's just part of the background that like well I'm not supposed to take that seriously either because I don't take anything else in the movie seriously so that's the wrong way to approach that and I'm just yeah, I don't know. I'm just real tired of... I know that it's a reality and there are stories surrounding it that should be told and deserve to be told, but not like this. This is not one of them. It needs to be treated with a great deal more respect than it is yeah. in this, for sure. Definitely. So that's my thoughts on that. And uh, any final thoughts from anybody else? Because I'm done talking about it now. I'm good. Yeah, there's nothing really else to talk about. Except maybe I can have a really fast Uber delivery. <laughs> like in this movie? Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and if you, yeah, it would be great if, like, if you were to have a breach for it, you could just snap your fingers and, and forget you ever even said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, instead of hours and hours of contractions and transition. Oh. All right. Well, that's it for that. Time to push the magic button and see what the movie for next week is. It is. What? Oh, it's our first and is it our first animated? Yes. Yes. I believe our first animated film for the podcast. I've never heard of it. Jack and the Cuckoo Clock Heart. It's on Tubi. It looks like a CGI animated, almost like a Tim Burton-y kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe that'll be good. We'll see. So that's your homework for next week, everybody. Jack and the Cuckoo Clock Heart on Tubi. Uh, Thank you to my guests, Carrie Claypool, as always. Thank you to Maria Sauer. Where can people find you, ma'am, if you want to be found? Um, Twitter, Twitter probably or Instagram any of those things 
you want to shout them out, go right ahead. Um, okay, so on Twitter, it's bluesy, blue, and then S-Y, 6454, and then on Instagram, Maria Sour, spell it how it sounds. Well, not how it sounds, because it's not S-O-U-R, like sour lemon, S-A-U-E-R, correct? Not on Instagram, no. Oh, you spelled it? All right. It actually is S-O-U-R now. All right, well. Little easier, I guess. <laughs> there you have it. And you are? I'm Carrie Valerice on Twitter, and on Instagram, I'm Branca Chica, which is like my kids' names all put together. So it's B-R-E-N-K-A-C-H-I-C-K. Branca Chica. And she's posting weekly, uh, here's how much my baby belly's grown. <laughs> Yes. pictures so if you're into that kind of thing it's kind of jump fun. on board that i'm uh at heath lambert 78 the podcast is at that so random p2 email address for the show is that so random pod at gmail.com if you have any complaints disagreements questions concerns things of that nature feel free to write in i might even read it on the show um That'll do it for this week. Rapists suck. Kill all rapists. That's my parting go. message. Just like Emily did. Yes. <laughs> Emily and Vanilla are heroes. <laughs> no, Emily's still not her hero because, yeah, because she still killed herself in front and left her body for all of her friends to find. So fuck her. Right. I'm sorry, but that's rude. <laughs> That'll ruin your weekend. Yeah. We stand Vanilla. Yeah, I like Vanilla. A dumb sweetheart queen. Yes. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.